Hello and welcome to today's episode of 7 Figure Millennials where together you and I are on a mission to prioritize our happiness, health, and relationships as we make our biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And if this is your very first episode, I want to say welcome. Super excited to have you here. And if you're returning, you know how much I love you, how much I appreciate you coming back week after week to hang out with myself and the guests that are appearing on the show. And today, you and I get to hang out with someone that made a massive impact on my life, Jonathan Levy. Jonathan is a serial entrepreneur, best-selling author, and keynote speaker born and raised in Silicon Valley. At the age of 16, he started an e-commerce company that would go on to become one of Inc.'s 5,000 fastest-growing companies in America before being sold in 2011. Since 2014, Jonathan has been one of the top performing instructors on the online learning platform Udemy and has snowballed this traction into the launch of a full-fledged information products company, which produces such products as the award-winning Superhuman Academy podcast, the best-selling Become a Super Learner print, digital and audiobooks, and numerous other online courses through their training portal, Superhuman Academy. Jonathan is humbled to say that their media products have been enjoyed by over 300,000 people from across the world. His latest book, The Only Skill That Matters, was published by Lion Crest in 2019 and details his own journey and the techniques that anyone can use to learn faster. Jonathan has a BA in sociology from UC Berkeley and a master's in business from INSEAD, and he lives in Tel Aviv, Israel, with his wife, Limor, and his son, Ari. So just for some context, so you know a little bit about how I know Jonathan and the impact that he's made in my life, I'm going to tell you a really quick story. So in 2018, heading into my senior year of college, my wife, or now wife, Leah, sent me a podcast episode with a guy named Charlie Hohen, and Charlie was describing how he got his start in his career by reaching out to work with one of the world's top podcasters, five times New York Times bestselling author, Tim Ferriss, and he's written the books for our work week, Tools of Titans, you probably know him. Um, I thought that was a brilliant idea and super cool that Charlie basically shortcutted years of trial and error by working side by side with Tim Ferriss. So I was like, why don't I give that a shot? So I ended up reaching out to Jonathan with a cold email and that turned into three years of me working directly with Jonathan and eventually running the marketing for his company. And during the three years that I was on the team, we added over 150,000 students to our online courses and I was overseeing the marketing campaigns and automations with over 200,000 people, podcasts increased by several million downloads. And that was really where I kind of cut my teeth in this entire world and started learning all the stuff that I'm sharing on the podcast today. But what's more important than all that was how much I really want to say Jonathan really cared for my growth. And during all this time that I was helping grow the company, I was able to travel the world for an entire year with my wife, Leah. Uh, Jonathan got into Genius Network and many of the guests that have been on the show have been because of Genius Network. And Jonathan asked me to come to Genius Network representing his company. And that is how I was able to kind of network my way into a room with seven, eight, nine figure entrepreneurs when I was 22 years old. That wouldn't have happened without Jonathan. And then also Jonathan and I partnered to launch a course together called Ultimate Advantage. That was my first ever online product. And we ended up doing a $45,000 launch in the first week that it opened. And on top of that, I was there for Jonathan's engagement, which actually happened at one of our company retreats, his wedding. Lee and I spent three months living with him in Tel Aviv, and we went to the Dead Sea together, met his family, and had some Shabbat dinners and so much more. So the only reason why I didn't have Jonathan on sooner was that the month that I launched my podcast... Jonathan actually published episode 300 of his podcast and decided to make it his final episode and he wanted to step back from the world of podcasting for a bit. 
Also right around the time is when Jonathan had his first kid and he wanted to spend his time being a full-time dad. So I waited a while, respectfully didn't want him on the show because I wanted him to just enjoy his break from podcasting. And I finally texted him. I'm like, dude, we just have to have you on at this point. (laughs) So you've heard a little bit about him. You've heard the impact, but here's what you can expect to learn from today's episode. Number one, Jonathan shares how he overcame anxiety, depression, and being bullied as a kid and ended up finding a positive outlet to express himself, which actually was entrepreneurship and how he channeled that into launching his first e-commerce company that, as you heard from his bio, it went on to become a Inc. 5000 fastest growing company in America. And then he eventually ended up selling it. And then also number two, Having worked with Jonathan for over three years, I I know Jonathan's content more than anything else. So normally I have to do a lot of research, but this time it's like I have too much content in my brain. <laughs> so what I decided to do is like of all the content of all of Jonathan's courses of his book, I decided to pick the top two accelerated learning techniques that Jonathan teaches that I use literally every single day that I know if you simply listen to it will make a dramatic impact on your life. So uh, the first one is how to increase your reading speed through one simple trick called pre-reading. Number two, how to to remember more of what you're learning by using markers. So those are things that you can learn from the accelerated learning front. And then number three, I want you to look out for the very end where Jonathan and I have a jam session and we just get to nerd out on our favorite productivity and lifestyle hacks. And you'll learn how Jonathan has designed his life where his business allows him to be a full-time dad and spend time doing what he loves. So all that to look forward to in this episode. But before we dive in, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out, which this week goes to Chadwick. 224 who left a review on Podchaser saying Brandon's podcast is a must listen for any entrepreneur looking for inspiration on how to scale their business while also maintaining that happy balance with family and life a true thought leader thank you Chadwick 224 really appreciate the kind words and if you're a returning listener you haven't had a chance to leave a review yet you can go to ratethispodcast.com slash 7fm to find out exactly how you can leave a review if you don't want to leave a review I'm also very very happy if you just take a fraction of a second to scroll down wherever you're listening right now, tap five stars or whatever you think I'm, I'm deserving of as a podcast host. And that'll help get a lot more reach. And if you choose to leave a review, I'm going to read it. I might give you a pre-show listener shout out in the future and it helps grow the show. So a little bit longer of an intro than usual, but please enjoy this incredible conversation with my very dear friend, Jonathan Levy. If you had to pick between a making a ton of money B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. The one, the only, Mr. Jonathan Levy. Welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, my friend. Thank you, sir. Happy to be here. Yeah. So people heard from the intro how in some alternate reality, I would probably have a dramatically different life if it weren't for for you. And I probably wouldn't have this podcast. And I I, I don't want to shatter you with too much, uh, give you too much praise. And just everybody's like, come on, get to the point. But you've been a massive inspiration to me. As oh, I've watched you. you build the life where you've been able to build it and being now your full-time dad and husband and basically just doing what you're passionate about all day. 
and you you know built businesses that have supported you. So just so everybody kind of understands where I want to go with this, there's so many places we could go. I think this is going to be kind of like an iceberg podcast. So um, I want to give you an introduction to Jonathan for what he's known for. Uh, so we're going to teach you some of the incredible stuff that you know he's taught to over 250,000 students, 300,000 at this point. And then we're just going to go super deep and get to jam and I get to go deeper with a guest than I normally do because we know each other so well. So does that sound good with you, Love Jonathan? It. Sweet. Let's do it, okay. Man. So, so let's start from the, the beginning. So you're in eighth grade, you're in silent sustained reading. The room is quiet. You hear a chair being pulled out behind you. You turn around and to your surprise, there's a school, the school principal is right there. And he says something to Correct. you that obviously stuck with you. So what did he say? Why are you reading that? I said, well, I want to learn how to program. And he kind of just rolled his eyes and I thought to myself, like, here I am trying to improve myself because I'm clearly not that good academically, but I want to learn skills that are going to serve me in the real world. And no one seems to believe that I'm capable of it. Um, and that that was uh, one of many moments that just stuck with me as, uh, you know, I learned differently and I, and I had come to this point in this realization that I, in some ways, uh, was at a disadvantage to other students that I had to work harder to get the same or inferior results. And apparently, you know, other educators around me had taken note of it. Now we can get into that particular principle and, and how I think he, his whole educational philosophy and, and just general uh, philosophy around uh, childhood psychology was wrong and, and horrible and, and what he later went on to do or not do with his life. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, that was a, that was kind of a, this, a uh, really jolting moment in my life where I was like, wow, something's got to change because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get anywhere the way that I am right now with the skills and learning skills that I have now. Mm-hmm. So I, you can fact check me on this because this is a detail that I'm not quite sure I remember, but I know you were, I think in the book you talk about, you were reading like a Java two textbook or something like that. That's and, right. and I, okay. So I want to, I want to go into this because um, I know that you have another podcast and I remember listening to this podcast before I even knew you. And I, I, it was one of the most powerful episodes that I thought you ever did, but it was called how entrepreneurship saved my life. It was where you kind of turned the mic and Anthony Mativier interviewed you and you kind of shared about some of your early pivotal experiences. And so I would love to kind of take people back there to kind of show a little bit more of where you came from. And the reason why I specifically mentioned that you were reading Java too, is because I know that you had some issues with your classmates and uh, one of the reasons why you decided to learn HTML and, and programming was was because of some things that went on in eighth grade. So would you would you mind sharing some of those yeah. things so people can kind of just understand? Yeah. So I I, I probably am not going to surprise anyone in your audience by saying uh, I didn't have a lot of friends and I wasn't the most popular kid growing up. I was very different uh, for a lot of different reasons. I still consider myself to be very different now. I'm not ashamed and embarrassed of it. Uh, but yeah, one of the reasons that I taught myself HTML was actually uh, someone in my class had put up a whole website uh, shaming me and like uploading embarrassing photos of me uh, and and all kinds of like hor- horrible things. So one of the first reasons I had to improve my technical skills was to try and change and take down this website, which I did successfully. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. yeah. Eighth grade struggles, you know. Um, but I also realized, I, I think from a very early age, I had the entrepreneurial bug. I was raised in such a way that entrepreneurship was kind of promoted and fostered. Um, there were a lot of entrepreneurs around me 
in my life, one being in Silicon Valley, but also in my family. My father was entrepreneurial. My mother was entrepreneurial. My grandparents, who I'd never even met, were entrepreneurial. And I kind of had this um, this belief that if you wanted something in life, then you just found a way to make the money. You didn't go get a job. And I know many people are are taught differently. That's not the the kind of like software that they get out of the box, but that's the software that I got. And I wanted to build businesses growing up in Silicon Valley. I wanted to build businesses. I saw that that was kind of a way to rise above the limitations that I had. And, and right around that time, maybe a year later, you mentioned eighth grade was when I kind of came up with this realization that if I wanted to live a, a better life than the life I was living then, right. And, and I, I had a great childhood, but then all of a sudden, you know, I was very unhappy with who I was and I was very self-conscious and I, I hated myself. I mean, there's not a nice way to put that. I hated myself. I hated the way that I interacted. I hated the way that I looked. I hated the way that I showed up. And I realized I could either off myself and end the experience. And, and I went down that road for a brief moment and decided that being an only child and, and that's probably not the way for me, right. To, to create that much torment and sadness around me because I wasn't vindictive to, to my loved ones. Um, or if I was going to stick around, then I better change the things that I don't like. I didn't then know so much that that was possible, but I had an inkling of a suspicion that it was. My uncle Ernie gave me a pivotal book when I was around that age, 13 years old, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And this was, I'm on a huge tangent here, but I hope it's an interesting one. This was like the first time in my life where reading was no longer either about entertainment or about meaningless stuff that I didn't care about. And, and there were some subjects in school that I did care about, but for the most part, reading up until that point was either reading Goosebumps books, you know, or, or entertaining books. And I loved Roald Dahl. I was an avid reader in, you know, grade school. So it was either about fun or it was about, if it was informative reading, then it was about things that didn't necessarily make my life better. You know, reading history books was interesting. It didn't make my life better. And this was the first time that I realized that words on a page could actually change who I am in a way that meaningfully improves my life. Because I started to implement the things in the book and things started to get better. I started to get along better with my classmates. I started to have more confidence. And this started what is to this day, uh, uh, maybe less today, I think I've and we've talked about this at length. I think I've gotten to a point where I've really accepted myself and I'm, I'm happy with who I am. And a lot of my drive to change has uh, ameliorated. But this started this long, over a decade journey of just feasting at the buffet of what are all the things that I want to improve. And simultaneously, as I mentioned just before, one, improving who I am so that I love that person and two, learning to love the person that I already am. And at some point those converged. Um, so yeah, that, that, that has been my journey in personal development in a, in a long roundabout answer. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, uh, lots to say on that, but I mean, I was thinking about, I knew I, we were going to have this conversation and it just so happened that my wife, Leah and I were watching American horror story the, the other day. And there was this scene where these kids were bullying this kid and they were live streaming it. 
and like the whole school saw it. So it's like, I was, I was just thinking about like, man, how terrible it is these days and the damage that can be multiplied beyond even what you had, even though you had oh like an God. early experience of HTML, but thank you for being vulnerable and for sharing that. I know you, you had a, a, a rough My time pleasure. and, but, but I know that because of these early experiences in, you know, you have looked to turn that into an asset for you in many different ways. And so I want to talk yeah. a little bit about your earlier entrepreneurial career. I know that you mm-hmm. talked about your incredible parents who I've been able to meet a few times uh, and, and they were able to support you and kind of not put you down as you, you went upon this crazy entrepreneurial career. I know your only other job that you ever had was Jamba Juice. And I think you got fired from it. <laughs> I didn't get the job. I, I actually, oh, you, didn't, you didn't get the job. <laughs> I didn't get the job. Yeah. I've had two job interviews in my life. Jamba Juice and Togo's. I couldn't get the job either time. <laughs> oh just, man. Okay. So, so yeah. tell us a little bit. I just can't I, so, nail those job interviews, man. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about um, kind of the, the early entrepreneurial career. I know you started with a web design yeah. agency when you were young. Walk us through that and then yeah. a little bit up into super, Superhuman. Well, it kind of at every point in my life, as I have 3D printers whirring next to me, I, I, I'm very obsessive. I'm an obsessive person. I've recently, uh, not that recently, a year or two ago, was diagnosed with OCD. Uh, in a different form. And I, I don't wash my hands obsessively, but I get obsessive. I have this obsessive tendency and Brandon has seen this like, you know, one, usually in six month period. So one six month period, all I'll do is acro yoga. I'm just obsessed. And then another one, it'll be crochet. And then another one, it'll be right now it's 3d printing before that I was obsessed with chess. So I am this like avid lifelong learner and and I go deep, I get into things deep and I want to learn more than 99% of people, not because I want to learn more than other people, but I have a, a, a greater thirst for that learning. And I've come to realize that actually what I'm addicted to is the learning. It's not that I, you know, I get bored with 3d printing or acro yoga. I, I just, um, it's only fun for me while I'm still learning and being challenged. And I've been very fortunate to turn that into a career and especially I'm very fortunate considering the fact that like I was the kid who couldn't learn well. So just to, to be able to rediscover the fact that actually I'm a phenomenal learner and then teach it to others has been really cool. But so taking a step back, um, I've always had these kinds of like wanting to go deep down the rabbit hole. So I had a business that was uh, DJing parties, you know, in, in middle school when everyone's having parties and dances and stuff like that, we would, you know, DJ and we never made any real money. Uh, the next business was doing web design. I did some websites for a bunch of my dad's clients, you know, didn't make a whole bunch of money, um, but learned a lot along the way uh, about business, about, about what I wanted to do, about what I didn't want to do, service-oriented businesses. You'll notice like through the rest of my story, uh, I've managed to avoid being the one who serves, you know, creates my income through a service-based business. Now, today I actually am part owner of a service-based business, but I don't do any of the customer service aspects. Uh, in any case, after that, I founded a car parts company on the internet because I was super obsessed with modifying cars. This was after, you know, the Fast and the Furious. And this was a time when like, there was a lot of really cool stuff that you could do to modify cars today. Not as much. A lot of uh, the manufacturers have kind of taken inspiration from Apple and right to repair. It's like so many of the new cars, There's you just can't take them apart and replace parts anymore. But different story. So this was the golden era of <laughs> modifying cars. And um, I kind of realized that the market was full of non-technical people. And so you, you couldn't just go online and order, you know, 
parts you had to call and they didn't have their inventory digitized. So they would call you back. Like they'd go check in the warehouse and then you had to like give them their, the, the credit card number over the phone. Some of them you had to mail a check. I just realized, you know, I've learned all this HTML stuff from web design and taking down websites that embarrassed me. And I've, I've learned all kinds of different things about customer service along the way. And, you know, what if I, what if I created a real experience where people could go online and there was inventory and you could order parts and there was, you know, stock here in the U S and there was an 800 number. So I did all this out of my high school bedroom, uh, and built that business to be almost a $3 million a year business. One of Inc's 5,000 fastest growing companies in America. And then it got real old after about seven years, I get the seven year itch. As you know, I, I do with all my businesses. So it got real old and I sold that business, went back to school uh, and then started uh, doing software consulting. Um, and then I did Superhuman Academy and kind of all along the way, I've started a lot of little businesses and I've, I've come to discover through a lot of coaching since then that I really like starting businesses. I don't really like scaling them and I definitely don't like running them. So I've yeah. gotten better. I mean, I know your your audience is more interested in entrepreneurship than maybe my audience was. Uh, one of the things that's been really pivotal for me through all the coaching that I've done, and I owe credit to Dan Sullivan and, and Strategic Coach for this, is just knowing where my genius is and knowing where my unique advantage is. I'm really good at starting businesses. I need other people to run them and scale them. And, and that's okay. I fought that for a decade from age 18 to 28 or more, by the way. Really, I could say I fought that for 15 years going to business school, reading every business book, going to EO, going to Genius Network, going to Strategic Coach, all with the vision. I, I probably spent a quarter of a million dollars trying to become a better manager and a better CEO and a better leader. And eventually the realization was don't, don't become a better entrepreneur, be really good at starting things, and then be even better at letting go and handing them off. So today, uh, in one of my businesses, I have Leslie, who you know, who pretty much runs the whole business out of Manila. Um, the business kind of runs itself. I can't say that it's a thriving business today. Um, it's definitely a victim of neglect, but it it pays the bills well. It serves our customers well. People are happy. And, and um, I don't have to do work that I don't love. And then in another one of my businesses, I have uh, three partners who run everything. And I'm just there to do what I love, which is build new creative novel tech solutions um, and create because all I want to do is create. And it's funny. I'll tell a little anecdote. Um, I was telling Brandon before we hit the record button, I, I bought a, my first 3d printer six months ago. I now have three of them and I've just been creating, you know, designs and having fun with them. I posted one of these designs on a local Facebook group and people just started like blowing me up with messages. Can I buy one? Can you print one for me? I shit you not within 48 hours, it would have been 24, but I have a son now and a family. Within 48 hours, I had a website up. I had pricing. <laughs> I had professional photography. I had payment systems in Bitcoin, in PayPal, in credit card. Uh, I had standardized production method. I mean, everything. Like I built a business in 48 hours. I thought a lot of our mutual friend, Noah Kagan, you know, who has that 48 hour build a business. And it, it was, it's a, a profitable business. I mean, it's making I think money that you know most people would would consider to be real money, and you can see, you can hear at least right now. I've got the three D printers humming, and it just it was this moment, this kind of like moment of reflection of like, wow, to to get to that point where I have honed my very specialized skill set, which is 
starting new businesses and validating concepts and to go from, you know, I, I told my wife because she was ready to kill me when I was going to buy the second printer. I was like, well, I'll, I'll sell some parts on the side. And, you know, it, it'll come out that it's profitable. So I'm not wasting money on it. But to go from that idea I had in the shower of, I guess I could sell a few parts, you know, locally around here to a website where people are ordering in 48 hours. It, it's, it's, it just shows you, you know, you can only assemble the pieces looking back as Steve Jobs said. And, and it's, um, you may think that so many experiences you have through your life are, you know, going down the wrong path or only valid for that period of time. But it's, you look back, I taught myself HTML when I was 13 years old and I'm still using that skill almost every day to make a living. You know, I taught myself photography when I was 18 because it was too expensive to hire product photographers for my website. And I still use that. It's remarkable. So I guess I'm totally taking your question to a totally different direction that I want to take it. Um, but bringing us back to learning, which is don't ever denigrate the value of the learning. Even if right now you're thinking to yourself, maybe the exception would be if you're learning trigonometry or stuff like that, but you're thinking to yourself, how am I ever going to use this? You'll be amazed, at least when it comes to real life skills. And that could be public speaking. You know, you're, you're in a situation where you find yourself having to do public speaking and you're thinking to yourself, like, I just want to be an engineer. Why do I have to, you know, I don't want to do this. You'll be amazed. I never wanted to be a, you know, a, a photographer, but yeah. it's amazing how all these skills can culminate. Anyway, sorry. Well, for let me, let me just, there. no, it's, let me just say that that's one thing that I've respected so much about you is your, you. oh, as I've watched you grow over these past few years, very closely, it's like, you've become more and more in alignment with who you are and what you want to do. And you've given yourself permission to actually make the decisions that are in alignment with what you want to do. I, I remember when, right. you know, you were having, uh, when Ari was born and you were just getting married and like you, you were getting that seven year itch. We had lots of those conversations about like, you felt like obligated to continue to grow the business, but eventually yep. I think everything worked out the way it needed to, where, you know, you are now in an environment where you get to play and have fun and do the things that you've always totally. wanted to do. And uh, permission yeah, is, yeah. A, is a, is a good, it's the right word. And I have to say you were also uh, a pivotal factor in that where you just kind of like held up a mirror right to me. And you were like, this is what I see. This is what you're showing me. Like you don't want to rebuild, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to get back to where the business was. You want to play and, and having someone else acknowledge that. So I owe you a huge debt of gratitude, like having someone else acknowledge that, that they see me, uh, who's unbiased, right. Who doesn't have a dog in the fight. Um, uh, was, was a big moment for me and just going, yeah, awesome. I do. I do want to play. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And, uh, so, okay. So this is, this is where we'll take it. Jonathan has agreed, even though he, this, this is a topic that is a seven year itch. I was like, dude, come on. Like this stuff is so good. Let's do the 80, 20 of your learning content so we can at least give it to people. Sure. And then we can dive into the sure. other, the other fun stuff. So Jonathan is supporting our audience and giving this to you because this is stuff that, uh, usually <laughs> only is for you in, in, in only, only for me. So really quick, Jonathan, let's go into basically the, the main memory techniques and speed reading. Cause this is super relevant to everyone. So sure. let's first start with memory. Why should we all learn like cavemen, Jonathan? Oh, that's a great question. So there are a lot of things that we do today that are completely out of alignment with the way evolutionarily uh, we're designed, if you will, by 
again, evolution, unless you believe in intelligent design, I don't judge. But one way or another, the form factor that we are in now, which has been around for 100, 150,000 years without modification, uh, is not in any way adapted to the lives that we live, whether that's the hyperabundance of calories. That's why you know the majority of people in Western society are overweight and increasingly worldwide. Uh, whether that's the way we use our bodies sitting all day, whether that's the size of communities that we live in, look at things like COVID and sickness rates. I mean, we're not, we're not evolved to be in societies of millions of people. Uh, and so, yes, we get sick and we have mumps and measles and all, you know, uh, and that also applies to learning. Um, we're evolved to be in highly visual, highly engaging environments where we learn by seeing and by doing. We're not evolved to learn by books. And I love books, but in order to take information out of a book and remember it, we need to take into close consideration the way that our brains actually work. And more and more research has validated the fact that we're all visual learners. I mean, if you're a caveman, the information that you're getting about foods that are edible, the information that you're getting about your way home, the information that you're getting about the people around you, it's not auditory, it's visual, uh, and it's tactile. And additionally, uh, more and more research has showed that our memory is inextricably linked to location, meaning when you are, your entire existence is hunter-gatherer, all information for you is linked to the location where you learn that information. This is where I found that pond of fish, and this is where I hid the winter food supply, and on and on and on. This is where the rival tribes are. This is their colors. Um, and so to learn like a caveman to, to take from the title of a chapter of my book is to convert everything that we learn into visual mnemonics, which we call markers. And then at the higher levels to put that information in imaginary spatial organization structure. In other words, a memory palace, I create imaginary pictures and I put them into memorized locations. And if you go to any memory expert or champion anywhere in the world, this is the secret sauce to what we're doing. This is how Sherlock Holmes did all the amazing stuff he did. And it's also many, uh, many historians believe it's also the way that the old Testament and all the works of Plato and Homer were all committed to memory, uh, before they were written down. So pretty, yeah. pretty, uh, well-established technique. Yeah. And I just want to highlight for someone, because before I knew Jonathan, I didn't even realize this was a thing, but he mentioned it in passing world memory champion. So to many people that hear that for the first time, they're like, what the hell is that? There's a thing, but these are the people that can memorize a deck of cards in 12 seconds. The people that can memorize mm -hmm. thousands of names in an entire auditorium. They're not savants. Yep. They've trained themselves in the abilities that Jonathan's talking about is creating these Correct. highly detailed, crazy markers. Um, and if you've, the, one of the seminal books in this topic is Moonwalking with Einstein, Joshua Foer, if I remember correctly. Um, mm -hmm. And if you want to explore that, he talks about all this kind of stuff. And so, um, so, so that's a, a really high level. If you want to learn like a came and transfer everything to visual memory, and, you know, Jonathan, I think you joked all, you joked all the time about like, you ever wish you had a photographic memory? Well, you actually do because we Congrats, were programmed yeah. this way. Congratulations. Correct. It's just a matter of whenever you're looking at taking a piece of information that whether it be a book, someone's name coming up with a visual way that allows you to 
solidify that in your memory. And I've found that after, you know, spending so much time with you, Jonathan, it's like, as I do interviews, I even find things pop up. Like I was interviewing someone and he was talking about this concept that he learned from Pixar called a story spine. And I immediately had this picture in my brain of this, like, yeah. you know, an anatomy of a, of a spine and was kind of picturing what that meant. And then I kind of remembered that I could go back there. So it sounds a little bit out there, but um, you know, the more that you leverage this to remember people's names, another hack that I learned from Jonathan is always remember the waiter or waitress's name at a restaurant. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I, so people always see that when I go out to eat, it's like, I always ask for their name and I always remember it. And, you know, I was out with some people the yeah. other day. They're like, did you look at the name tag? I'm like, they don't have a name tag. I remembered it. And like, you'd be surprised how that blows that people is... away. But like, if you can memorize someone's name, it changes the game in so many different things. So and it, it is, it has gotten me into and out of situations so many times, uh, into good situations where like no one's getting in. And I just happen to remember that Kai works there and Kai was the one who told me to come back and Kai told me to mention, but like my wife was, you know, d- didn't remember the name. And I'll just be like, well, Kai told me that I could come and isn't yeah. Kai, or- I think Kai said that he was the manager at six o'clock, you know? Yeah. Or like customer service, you know, it's like something like when somebody says, hi, you know, my name is Brandon. How can I help you today? It's like, I, like you always remember that you can always use your name. And I found yeah. that you get just treated better. So, so plenty of Dale ways Carnegie. to apply. Yeah, exactly. There you go. So um, remember that's a that a person's super- name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So super high level. We didn't go too deep, Jonathan. Hopefully that wasn't too painful. Like no, photographic memory that that's good. Now let's go really quick into speed reading fundamentals. I don't want to go too deep into oh, yeah. this, but I'll just, I'll, I'll skip ahead. If that's okay with you, I'll just kind of take you to where I want you to go with it. But like basically normal speed reading is what they would normal, normal people that read is approximately 250 to 300 words per minute. Studies Correct. disprove anything beyond 800 words per minute. So when you hear yeah. anything 600. like that, like that's, Oh, is it 600? Okay. So, but yeah. still, if you're an average reader and you're reading at 250 and if you go to 600, that's a massive jump. If you can, you can learn about this. So um, that's always been kind of the core tenet of speed reading at superhuman academies. It's none of this right. photo reading bullshit of reading 2000 right. words per minute, but if you learn some techniques, so um, we can't, I don't want to really go into the saccades and all that crazy stuff, but like something super yeah. simple that people can apply today that is something that I always do whenever I read a book um, is pre-reading an SQ3R. So would you mind sharing those two things? I think that'll cover, that'll take people where they need to go. (laughs) Absolutely. So you're, you're fundamentally correct. Uh, We now teach uh, an eight week course on accelerated learning, and we don't even cover speed reading because it's one of those things that it's until you have, I always say, until you have the infrastructure and the foundation, I can teach you to speed read, but you're not going to have anywhere to store all this information. It's going to go in one ear out the other. So, um, but this one technique has been proven time and time again, via the research, the one you're mentioning pre-reading has been proven to increase people's reading speed and comprehension. And it takes a minute to learn. The basic idea is you skim, you literally skim through at a very fast pace, the page you want to read or the paragraph or the text or the ideally a full chapter as you get better at it. And you take note of things that are interesting to you and you generate questions. Now, the way I teach it, I like to pay attention to names, numbers, anything capitalized, anything italicized, any headings. And I'm not looking for comprehension. Literally, the only reason that you do this is to generate curiosity. The human mind cannot avoid a question. If I asked you, Brandon, what'd you have for breakfast? You, you can't not think about it. We're wired for problem solving. So if you look at a text and you say, why is San Francisco in there? And then 
if you want to take it a step further, as you get better at this, you come up with a bias, right? So I'm reading a text on civil liberties and they mention San Francisco and I go, oh, I bet they're going to talk about hate Ashbury. So now I've taken a stance there. There's only one thing that we, and none of this is scientific. I'm, I'm saying this jokingly, but there's only one thing that the human mind pays attention to more than a question. And that's whether or not they're right about the answer to a question, right? You ever notice how when you take a stance on something, you're so much more interested. As soon as you say, well, I don't think that's going to happen. Suddenly you're paying attention to the news, right? Before you didn't care about this topic, but now you've taken a stance. It's, it's like, you know, uh, if you buy a stock, suddenly you actually care about that company and you notice when people are talking about it. So the same is true here. You take a stance and you start making assumptions. As you then read through the text, you will not only read faster because you will be more attentive, but you'll also have higher comprehension and you'll, you'll be more genuinely engaged. Now, this, is, this sounds like such a throwaway thing. And I was actually taught this by uh, uh, an older upperclassman in college when I told him I was struggling. I struggled a lot in my undergraduate degree. And he told me this technique. And I blew it off. I was like, this, like, how could this work? Just I flip through and I spend one or two seconds on each page, and that's supposed to help me with my mountain of reading. So I blew it off. And then my senior year, a graduate student told me the same thing. And I blew it off again. Don't blow this technique off. It actually works. It's it's incredibly powerful. And if you take one thing away from this segment of the podcast, make it pre-reading. I mean, yeah, flip through the stuff that you're reading spend a couple seconds on each page and find something that catches your eye and then ask yourself a question about it. Yeah, I know. And I know that this, this podcast wouldn't be possible without me being able to do that. Cause like I read the book before I bring on a guest and like, sometimes wow. I read. Yeah, yeah. So like I'm reading sometimes four books a month as a result of like interviewing people, but like at a super high level, I always, another thing I'll add on top of that, Jonathan, is I like to read the table of contents as well. That's a form yep. of pre-reading in itself. Like most people are just like, you know, just let me, let me get to page one. But like, I always at least look, how is this book structurally yep. created yep. so that I kind of know what's coming. And then exactly like you said, it's like you're it's, and if you have a Kindle, by the way, you can do this as well. You just kind of swipe up and you can kind of tap really quickly through all the pages. Yep. I usually like to do a chapter at a time. And I just, all I'm looking for is like Jonathan said, it's no, you're not trying to comprehend anything. You're just getting curious. You're like, oh, that word is in here. I wonder if that's related to this. Or like, I, you yep. know, exactly what Jonathan said, you're doing this. It takes to go through a chapter at this speed should take a minute, maybe two minutes, you know, depending on how long the chapter is. And it's going to change the game for the way that um, you're understanding and recalling information. So um, Jonathan, we have, uh, we've ripped the bandaid off. We have completed the, the segment of uh, memory of the techniques and speed reading. So everybody at least has that, that ability. Now we can go deep. This is kind of what I was talking about the iceberg. This is the part where I was like, what are some topics that I could talk about with Jonathan that would be fun? And maybe we haven't even talked about before. Um, and so you've actually alluded to this throughout, you know, just your comments from, from saying earlier, but one of the favorite pieces that I've seen you do uh, was the the piece that you did about Limor and how you found love after nine years of being single, single. And it's a great piece. And it really points to your willingness to go deep, to become the person that you always wanted to be, to find love. Um, and it was funny rereading that piece because you were writing it on a plane on returning home from the Philippines where I right. just I just watched you and Lim get proposed. I was like, oh my gosh, I was kind of there. So um, yeah. I, I would love for you to share 
some of the insights that you learn from doing the work in this, because I think it's applicable not for anybody just to find love. Maybe you are single, you're looking to find love, but it's the work that Jonathan has put in, in himself yeah. that has made him able to do this kind yeah. of stuff. So, um, so this yeah, is so a really interesting yeah. life kind of experience where I used to always say that every, I was already at this point, you know, kind of a thought leader in learning, but I used to say, cause I was single for a very long time until I was 30. Uh, you know, I, I went from short relationship to short relationship and I used to say, you know, anywhere else in my life, if I just work harder at something, I get results, but this is the one thing, no matter how hard I work, it actually gets further and further away. The harder you work at finding a mate, I feel like the more desperate you appear. And, and so, and I kind of brushed it off as, you know, it's chance and it'll happen when it happens for me. And then I had a mindset shift as a result of a lot of different experiences that I had. I mean, I, uh, there, there were a lot of things in my life. Once I discovered this learning technique, there were a lot of things in my life that I had taken as givens. Like I had knee pain for 10 years and I kind of challenged this as like, well, I had learning problems for decades. What if I applied learning and, and, you know, learning how to learn? Well, what if I learned how to move and I fixed my knee pain? I don't have knee pain anymore. And I did for literally decades. So one by one, you know, I, I'm not good around people. I, I don't do well in group situations. Well, what if I just learned how to be the kind of person who does well in group social situations? And one by one by one, I just attacked these things that I had taken as givens. And there was this last one niggling thing that I hadn't solved. And that was, I want a family. And I decided to change my mindset around it. And I decided to pursue coaching one. So I did some coaching and then I just decided, you know, everything else in my life, whether it's starting businesses, learning new topics, everything else, health, fitness, I'm able to pick up a book or 10 books and learn my way through this challenge. What if I did that here? What if I changed that belief that says, I just have to wait for the right one to come. And instead said, this is about me and about learning how to be the kind of person who has the relationship, right? It's the be, do, have. So be the kind of person who would do the kind of things that would cause them to have that healthy relationship. And I just, I went in deep, right? I did coaching. I read half a bookshelf worth of books on relationship theory and healing past trauma. And I did some therapy and... I think it may have been six to eight months through this process. I met my now wife and there were a lot, I mean, we can get into a lot of the things that I had to change, but fundamentally what it came down, my wife and I joke about this all the time, that if she'd met me five years earlier, there's no way she would have married me. And it's not, you know, just immaturity or things like that. It's beliefs I had about myself, beliefs I had about relationships, interaction patterns that I had. Yeah. So there's, thank you for sharing that. There's so much there. First of all, I want to say, notice how Jonathan went back and reassessed the labels that he had previously placed on himself. That's a really key thing Correct. that I found in my life. It's like, be careful about what you place on something. We had um, a, 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 prof a psychological profiler on the show and he's he talks about this concept of naming and labeling and how important that is to 
name and label something because then it becomes something externally verifiable that you can point and look at. And that makes it much more manageable and something that you can actually turn into action instead of just something that's just kind of this nebulous thing. So that was the first thing that I just wanted to notice. The other thing is this common theme that has come on the show. And I say it so many times, if you're a longtime listener, you're like, Brandon said this a bajillion times, but this quote um, is from Carl Jung, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. And lots of what I noticed that you were doing in this work, Jonathan, it's like you were uncovering unconscious patterns. And, and this applies, again, beyond, way beyond relationships in so many different ways. But I would love to, since you've done all this work, to maybe go into one of those understandings that you, you had and then show how you were able to apply that. So specifically in this piece, you talk about yeah. um, a, si- a silent agreement that you had with your mom that had to do with a golden heart locket. Would you mind talking about that? Yeah, this, is, this was a crazy thing. The funny thing about human psychology, and and I've realized this is like, it's, it's kind of a black box. Um, I think even to psychologists, right? Like something goes in and something comes out and we don't really understand how that happens. We understand, you know, that there's a tendency if you, if you are the victim of, of sexual abuse, you have a tendency for it to express in one of these five different ways, but we don't really understand why it will happen this way for one person and another way for another person. Why will one person, for example, have fear of intimacy and another person will be a sex addict from this, from potentially, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, I'm giving just examples, but from potentially the same, we don't understand. So a lot of this is a black box. And, and I think many times in my life, and I'm a huge advocate of working with a good coach, counselor, therapist, whatever you want to call it. Um, to me, it's all coaching, right? It's all guidance, whether it's a teacher or a therapist. Um, a big part of it is people can show you things about yourself that you don't see, or you're not willing to see. And the moment it's brought to your attention, you're, it's just like a glass has been shattered and you say to yourself, Whoa, that is, that rings true for me. And I would have never in a million years guessed it. So the story goes, and this was so deep in my repressed memory. I didn't remember it until I I did this work through this book, actually. So this was self-coaching that I was doing through um, Calling in the One by Catherine Woodward Thomas, highly recommended book. And the story goes like this. Uh, When I was four years old, I had a huge crush on this girl in my preschool named Kelly. Uh, I still remember this now that it's unrepressed, huge crush. And I decided that I wanted to buy her a gold heart locket at like Kmart. I still remember where this was and talking about memory and spatial location. I remember if that store was still standing, I could tell you exactly where we were, what aisle, where in the aisle. And although we now know that a huge portion of our memories are fabricated or modified, you'll say blue shirt. It was actually a pink shirt, but Regardless, I know at least where I think this this was. And I told my mom I want to buy this heart locket for Kelly. And um and she recognized rightfully that this wasn't an appropriate gesture for a four-year-old kid to make to a four-year-old girl. And probably Kelly's parents wouldn't have been so hot on this idea. And but her way of saying it was not, Jonathan, that's not really appropriate. She said, Well, I thought you were going to be my Valentine again this year. And I kind of, you know, completely benign statement that my mother, I'm sure has no, and later when we talked about this, she has no ill will around me. And quite on the contrary, she wants me to have a loving relationship and there's no kind of jealousy dynamic between my, you know, nothing, nothing untoward or no electro complex here. 
But four-year-old Jonathan's brain took that in process and, and kind of said, and kind of believed like, well, okay, if, if I make another woman higher priority than my mother, I'm, I'm breaking some kind of contracts and breaking her heart. And that's not an okay thing. Now, if you'd asked me about this, I would have never said, I would have said, that's ridiculous. I don't believe that. But then when it, when you do the work and you go deep into these repressed kind of memories, you realize, whoa, I have behaved this way systematically throughout my relationships. I've held back and I've, I've felt this obligation to never get closer to anyone than I am to my parents or to my mother. And that's a, that's not a healthy thing. I mean, a healthy part of growing up is creating new bonds with your family. And today I am, and I assume most people would agree that I'm closer to my wife than I am to my mother today. And that's exactly how my mother, I think, would want it, right? <laughs> uh, but I had to have that conversation with her and say, I, I know that there's nothing here, but I, I think I need you to release me from this agreement that I subconsciously believed for 26 years. Uh, and she, of course, said, of course, I want you to move on. And of, of course, I want you to find someone that, that's your soulmate and, and share a, a closer bond with them than you do with me. Um, but I, you know, I was carrying that around and so many of us are carrying that around And it. According to Catherine Woodward Thomas, it, it can come from such a, such a silly little thing that someone says to them, like, yeah, you know, will, will you wait for me? Or, or jokingly, when you tell someone, you know, well, if, if we reach 35 and we're both not married, let's get married, you know, and, and you may carry that around. Yeah, there was, um, it's, I actually am. I was just talking to this guy earlier. We need to re-record an episode. Just some things came up, but his name is Neil Moore. I had this conversation with him in, in September and he has this whole model called behavioral mechanics. And it's so interesting, but it's exactly what you were just talking about how in many ways we are actually addicted to neurochemistry and lots of the neurochemistry that we're addicted to was formed in childhood from experiences, just like the one that you mentioned that you didn't even realize was anything big, but your brain at that four-year-old level just gave you a flood of neurochemical things that was like, Hey, you know, and you didn't even have the language for it at that point, but your brain interpreted it that way. And then like, you're seeking for more and more of those things. And this is other, just kind of a random thing. And you you're the memory guy, so you can correct me here, but it's like, I think what happens in the brain is you don't recall the memory as it happened. You recall the most recent recollection of the memory that you had. So it's like over time, it kind of can become a telephone thing, but it is really important like you do the work, just like Jonathan said, that I've advocated for, that I've done for myself. It's like uh, this, another uh, episode that was in the show, Caitlin Kogan-Domner, she was talking about like, tell the story that serves you best. And, you know, in the absence of definitive truth, tell the story that most protects your ego and the way that it goes. And so there's lots of these things where if you do a, you know, exercise, like Jonathan mentioned, calling in the one where you're going back and revisiting these things, that you're making sure that you are relabeling them in a healthy way that serves you, um, you know, as long as you're doing it in, in, in a healthy way. So um, totally. I know that was a, that was a, that was a deeper thing, but we'll, we'll take us out. I want to go to uh, Funland with, with you, Jonathan. So there's a, this is a topic I don't get to talk about with anyone. Uh, <laughs> and I have a, is it Bitcoin? Really <laughs> no, 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 no. I have, I have a funny memory of this. I'll explain the memory and maybe you don't even remember this. Um, I was at your, I was in Tel Aviv with you when you brought Lim back a Mac and, and it was, it was Lim's first yeah. Mac. 
and she was taking apart and you and I were immediately like, Oh my God, let's optimize the shit out of this thing. Let's like install all these shortcuts and like all these things. And Lim was like, I don't, I couldn't care less. Like why, <laughs> why do I need this? But anyways, all that to say, um, you are somebody that has introduced me to this whole new world of like optimization and improving, you know, your, your phone and your computer and all those kinds of things. And I don't know another human that I'd be able to like have this dialogue with. And it's, it's absolutely changed my productivity and in my life in many ways. So I thought we we could just kind of shoot around some of our favorite tools for people to experiment and try out with. So um, I don't know if you have, if you want to start with one and we can kind of go back and forth and just have some fun. Oh yeah. I would love that. And you make me laugh (laughs) because I'm so, I'm so deep in this now. Like I've, I've, I've taken it to the next level and I figured out ways to gadgetize like my whole house and life. I've got all these 3d (laughs) printers hooked up on a network where I can control them remotely. Right. And like watch them and stream them. And, you know, and I know you, you're, you're out and about with, you're out and about with Lamar and Ari and you're just like, hold on, I need to fix this thing. And then you can't check my printer. (laughs) It's totally true. That's exactly how it goes. Uh, let's see. So a little kind of basic philosophy here on, on the optimization. And I kind of believe we have these tools all around us that are so incredibly powerful and it's such, it wouldn't it be such a shame if you had a bike and you never used the pedals, like you just sat on the bike and scooted like a toddler. And that's what most people do. Like you have this iPhone, we all have an iPhone or an Android or whatever we have. And it's so powerful and you don't know 99% of the stuff that it can do for you. Leave alone, like, you know, there's geeky stuff that I don't use, but I'll give you a really simple example. We just moved to a new place and uh, there's a gate to get out your car. It doesn't automatically open, but also every time someone comes to visit us and they want to get into the parking garage. So there's an app for it and you have to open the app and unlock your phone, find your phone first off and unlock it. And then da da da, and go to the app, find the app. Then you have to wait for the app to load. Then you have to hit the button. Then you have to wait for that to look. It's like a 30 second thing every time to open the freaking gate. Every time someone comes over and it's a hassle. And it's also while you're driving, you have to like, look at your phone and you're trying to park, you know, it's a whole thing. All right. So it's a whole thing. There's a shortcuts app built into your iPhone. I don't know for Android, but it's built in and a lot of applications already integrate with it and they can do all kinds of crazy stuff like make a PDF or dictate text or search web results. So I just created a quick Siri shortcut. And now all I have to do is say, Siri, open the gate from anywhere in the house. As long as my watch is on me, it just opens the gate. And I've done so many other incredible things. Like I have to upload receipts. So the accountant, you know, expenses them or whatever. So I just say Siri drive upload. Then it asks me to take a picture. I take a picture and then it says, what is this? And then I tell it, you know, gas. Then it attaches the date to that name gas 13 January, 2022. Then it copies the date to the clipboard. Then it makes a PDF, uploads it to Google drive. I paste the date it'll search for January, 2022 folder. And I hit upload and it's done, you know? So I've got a ton of these like little different ones. So I'm going to pause you for a second because like everybody listening right now, you just heard Jedi master level, Jedi master Jonathan of automation gods 
and maybe you don't want to open a gate or automate all this stuff. But um, it's I, I thank you for starting there because it shows people what's possible if you go down this rabbit hole. I don't know sure. if it's Jonathan and I are just weird humans and we get some kind of weird excitement about optimizing this kind of stuff. But it's it's fun when you get into it. So I'm going to toss out a few, Jonathan, and then you can kind yeah. of just keep going back and forth. But I want to give people some I want to give people some easy, quick wins. The first easiest win that anybody can do Wait, on any computer. Pause real quick, okay. real quick. I, okay. Let me give people the why. I work okay, like four hours do. a week. I work four hours a week. I want you to wrap your head around that, right? I, I own and run two companies and I work less than four. I mean, at this point, the work that I do is I record YouTube videos, right? My work work, I do email for two hours a week. Everything else in my life is automated. All my accounting, automated. Replying to a lot of my emails, automated. Uh, all, all the like filing stuff on my computer and renaming files, it's all automated. My house cleaning is automated because the Roomba runs at specific times. Closing the blinds in my house right now isn't working, but day to day, like, <laughs> you know, you got to remember to close the blinds at night because we live on the ground floor, like automated, turning on the water heater, automated, turning on the heated floors. Everything is automated. Paying my credit card bills, automated. All I do is create. That's all I have to do and be with my son. But like my only work work is creation. I have just narrowed everything down to the 2% of things that I love. That's the yeah. why, right? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. That sets up some massive right. context and, and easy and win. So, okay. Easy, easy, easy win. Anybody on a computer, my favorite thing to tell them, I actually got this from mm. Noah Kagan, I think Jonathan yeah. is speed yeah, yeah. up your trackpad. Speed up your mouse because if, if you are if you are dragging your finger or moving the mouse across your screen multiple times just to click one button, it'll change your life. Just go in and turn. There's a setting. I'm not going to explain where for anyone. You just Google it, but you can turn it all the way up and you can mm-hmm. barely move your finger and it's going to get your screen to where you want to go. I'm going to tell a really funny story just because I think it's hilarious. When I showed Leah about my my trackpad, my wife, she she was like, this is way too fast. I can't handle it. So being the the weirdo that I am, I, I, every single month I increased the trackpad speed by one notch. <laughs> I didn't tell her. Did. And then six months, six months later, I was like, Hey Leah, like, do you ever notice anything about your Mac? She's like, no. I'm like, did you realize that I actually ended up turning your trackpad speed all the way up? And now she yeah. can't go back. Like she, she'll like, you know, play way. with a, a computer in the store. And it's like, what is this? It doesn't even make sense. So anyways, funny story, but speed way. up your mouse trackpad speed. You have another one. And then I have another one afterwards. If you want to go for Shh. one. I love the shortcuts app on Mac or iPhone. It's a little advanced, um, but it, it you can do such cool stuff, just simple stuff. Like I, I know non-techie people who just like your business partner, you can add an icon right on the home screen of your iPhone that when, that is their picture. And when you click their face, it just calls them. If you end up calling your business partner or your wife five times a day, and every single time you're going to the contacts app, scrolling, searching their name, whatever, that takes a ton of time. So like, I've got my wife's picture right here on my watch and I just hit a button and I call her and that's whoop, that just lowered the desk automated. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. That, that's a cool one. I'll, I'll add that one. I don't have that one. Um, I'll toss in another one that you, you can go. We'll just keep going like this until we, we get bored with it. But um, uh, email is a huge one. Another huge category mm. that impacts everyone. Um, 
setting up filters. Most people don't understand how to set up filters, but like, like a classic example is every single time you buy something from Amazon, it tells you that you ordered it. It tells you that it's shipping. It tells you that it's confirmed. It tells you that it's delayed. It tells you that it's delivered. So like you buy a a $2 thing on Amazon, a $5 thing on Amazon, you have to get five separate emails. So any email service provider, you can go in and you can create a filter for that particular email or a subject line and you can say just archive it right away and then and if you want to go super advanced if you're somebody like that sounds really cool a new another one i've been playing with is called catch all email addresses if you own a domain oh yeah you can set up a catch all so anytime i sign up for a newsletter i can sign up for newsletter at sevenfigurmillennials.com and like it'll automatically i set up a filter so that anything being sent to that email address gets filed a certain way so like I, I do that for many different things. So anyways, those yeah, are those, like that's that a way that you can handle the barrage of, of emails as yeah, well. Yeah. Follow up then. Amazing service. Uh, very simple. I use a lot of different tools to do this and I schedule email and all kinds of stuff, but follow okay, up then is really again. simple. It, yeah. Yeah. Follow, it, 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 that's not the, that's not, you're, t- you're not telling people to follow up. The tool is called follow up then, right? The tool is called follow up then. Yeah. Okay. All you have to do to sign up is just send an email to, any time period, like 10 years or one day at followupthen.com. And it'll follow up. It'll send you back your email. You can do this as a CC and it'll send it to both you and the other person. So I can just say, you know, Brandon will say, Hey, let's book an interview. I'll be like, Hey, I'm really busy right now. I don't know when I'll be free. Uh, I'm setting both of us a reminder to talk again in a month, CC one month at followupthen.com. It'll email both of us. Uh, but I've taken this to the next level as in, not just for follow-ups, like I sent I send my son emails, so I my, he's 15 months old, Ari, and I signed him up. I got his name on Gmail, Ari Joshua Levy. I, I won't say, but uh, <laughs> and I won't say how we spell it, so you don't all spam my my poor 15 month old. But I signed up <laughs> for an email account for him, and then I write him emails. So instead of you know, hopefully one day we get around to watching a video that I recorded, like on his first birthday, I wrote him just. I think uh, a beautiful email about just how I feel about him. And, and then I CC'd uh, 13 years. So he'll get it the week of his bar mitzvah and I CC'd 30 years. So he'll get it roughly about the time that he's, Dude, the that's age so cool. That, isn't that great? And, and then I CC'd, I think uh, 50 years, which I probably, well, I'll be around in 50 years, but I, I also CC'd some time periods that like, I won't be around. You won't be around anymore. And hopefully he'll have the same email and follow up. Then we'll still be around. Uh, and if all those ifs, uh, my son, when he's 80 years old, will get an email from his long dead dad. That's so cool. Just about how I felt That's about like him, even, you know, yeah. Time machine kind of thing. I'm going to steal that one from you. Pretty that cool. one's, that one's fun. It's um, a good one. Here's, here's one of my other favorite ones that I got from you. Um, and this is so, so. I, I, this is okay to say Jonathan has a short link that he creates and he uses for everything. This will change the game for you. If you're working on oh, his man. short link, his, his short link is JLE.vi. So like, if, if I'm not going to say any of your links, but if you want to meet with, with Jonathan for a meeting, it may be JLE.vi slash something or JLE.vi. So like the, the yeah. issue with giving out permanent links. So if you link out to something permanently, if that ever goes down, 
it's like, and if you have that printed in a book, if you have it in a PDF that hundreds of people have, if you, if, if it was a podcast show that you were on and you said, go to a certain link and that is no longer there, you're SOL and you can't rewrite those. But if you set up a short link service, you can say, you can say, create a a vanity link. And then if that ever goes down, you can redirect them to a new place. So Jonathan inspired me to do this. So my vanity link, I, I don't know if I've told you this about this, Jonathan, because I think I got it after superhuman, but I went and I found a registrar for Nigeria and it ends in dot, dot, dot NG. So my, my short link is BFO dot NG and I can create anything for, for, for BFong. So like, um, that is a, a game changer, especially if you're working in the digital world and you're publishing content or you're giving an episode out for something, you know, whatever, like that will change the game. And, and I think you can even, here's a fun one. I don't even, I remember this for some reason. I'm going to test it. JLE. I remember hundreds of mine slash hold on kombucha. Is this, still, does yeah. this go to your kombucha recipe? Uh, Cause I remember, oh, yeah, it, it still does. Okay. So like, I remember Jonathan, like we were in Tel Aviv and he was pulling out his scoby. I'm like, what the hell is that? I want to try this. And now I make, I make kombucha all the time because of you now, Jonathan, but he's like, just go yeah, to jle.vi slash kombucha. And it goes right to the kombucha recipe. And I, this saves me so much time, like affiliate links. If a friend's like, Hey, oh, would yeah. you get that nice Bitcoin hardware wallet that you're using? I'm like jle.vi slash keystone. Uh, I have them for when people ask me like, Hey, why don't you like Ethereum? Just go to jle.vi slash Ethereum. There's a one hour video <laughs> that I recorded. So, um, and I've got, I've got thousands of them, like thousands of them. And I remember a huge portion of them. And then I have keyboard shortcuts. Here's another hack. Like if I type uh, JV on my computer, it extends to jle.vi. Um, mm-hmm. If I type MM3, it gives the link for a 30 minute meeting. So I have all these like quick keyboard shortcuts that I've basically just go in and do text replacement on your computer. So you tell the dictionary of the computer, like if I mistype and say JV, then replace it with JLE.vi. Um, ADDY, Addy, just spits out my full formatted yep. address. NRI gives my Israeli phone number. NRU gives my uh, US phone number. And I've got hundreds of these. I think I have 307 of them. I never yeah. type my email. I just write email and it spits out my email. How many times a day do you type your email? Oh, so that, many times that one a day. I got, that one I got from you or phone number for me is PHN or, you know, like yep. I, I, so I, I have, I have a whole bunch of those. Um, so if you want to implement that and that's interesting to you, the one that I use as a service for this is called switchy.io. I think you use, um, pretty link. Is that what you use Jonathan? Uh, yeah, but I, I also, in one of my businesses use uh, rebrandly. Rebrand. Okay. There's a bunch of options. If you just search like link shortener or something like that, there's a bunch of different things that you can check out. Um, and another, maybe, maybe people are, we've lost a few people on this, but that's okay. Oh, right? just, so we'll, bad. We'll, I know, I know you and I could talk about this, but I'm going to do one more and then we can maybe go into one other thing and then we can start maybe wrapping things up. But you were mentioning sure. uh, keyboard shortcuts. That is a huge thing for the, I mean, I could not run anything in my life if I didn't have better touch tool and Alfred, mm. I know that I know that Those Jonathan, so you're a deep in the weeds. Yeah, you're so you're a Quicksilver fan. But anybody that's a Mac user, if like you're not really using your Mac until you have Better Touch Tool or Alfred, um, in in my opinion. So basically, um, Alfred, the 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 one of the biggest pre- uh, benefits I'll say to what Jonathan was just saying is like if you want to do what we were just talking about, where you type out EML and it writes your email or PHN and it writes out your phone number, or I even have a link, get this. 
Um, let's say I record a loom video or I have a customer service issue for a software company. I'll record a video and copy the link. And when I'll, I'll open up an email to send to the support service and I'll just say, I'll type in, um, uh, the, my command is Vim, V-I-M for Vimeo. And it will say, hi, it'll paste out a formatted message saying, hi, I've been having, I've been running into this issue. Here's the link. Please let me know. Thanks. And so like, I can, if I'm running into an issue, instead of explaining it or typing it out, like I record a video, I grab the link, I type in three letters and I, I can send it to the support system without having to do anything else. Smart. So like all that is possible. I taught you well, young Padawan. <laughs> yeah. So, so those two, um, yeah. And maybe we've beaten this topic to death, but I knew it would just be fun to do this kind of stuff. So, oh man, I, I'm always learning new stuff. Like, you know, and, and you come to each new challenge, like I said, 3D printing. I mean, so I recently started another business and I, I took my Zapier skills to the next level. Oh, we haven't even talked that, about Zapier yet. <laughs> oh, just wait till you discover Integromat. It's even more advanced than Zapier. Oh, I think you told me um, And yeah, I mean, get out of the mindset that you're not a technical person and therefore you can't improve your technical skills because today having technical skills are a superpower. I mean, if I compare myself to, to the person exactly like me with my credentials and my intellect who doesn't have all the tech tools that I have working 24 hours a day that never sleep. Like it's not, it's, it's not a fair fight. It's not a fair fight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's, I'll give you two more options, Jonathan, then we can kind of start wrapping things up and maybe we can do a part two where we just get to, these are, these are fun when you actually get to do an interview with somebody that, you know, and you just kind of get to shoot the shit. And I think that it's very valuable for, for people listening. So, um, two things that I, well, one of them, I know you could just go on for forever about is travel hacks. You've traveled all over the place. That's, that's a huge thing. But another one that I haven't gotten to talk to you about that would be interesting is spending time raising Ari and, and being a father and fatherhood and talk about that. that. So, okay. All right. Go into it. Tell me, I know uh, just to set, set that, let me set this up really quick. Like I always made fun of Jonathan for being like, okay, you got this obviously I, I love you very much, Jonathan. So I'm saying this with, with, with so much love, but like, you know, you got this OCD dad that like loves doing all these crazy things. gets really obsessive and like is into yeah. learning and has all these different things that you can teach your kids. So I was like, dude, when you have a kid, I'm really excited to see kind of like, you know, what you teach them at an early age, it's going to set yeah. them up for life for, for accelerated learning and stuff like that. So this is a, a new yeah. conversation. I've never heard Jonathan's answer to this. I'd yeah. love to hear about I have it. so many thoughts. I've, I've been brewing on this for a year and a half now. Um, when Ari was 12 days old, we delayed it by four days. Cause my parents were quarantined when Ari was 12 days old. We had the, you know, the snip snip as we do in the Jewish faith and this like doctor slash rabbi slash, you know, we call it a mohel comes over and goes and, and like sees, you know, I think one of us, myself or Limor said something like, Oh, but I read. And he goes, listen to me. This guy was like, you know, 70 and has probably snipped more little bits that like thousands. I mean, every, every day he's snipping like five kids, little foreskins, (laughs) seriously, like five or eight a day. So this guy has seen a lot of kids, right? And he goes, listen to me. I want you to take all the parenting books and I want you to throw them in the fireplace because there's no, and there were so many people who told me this at when I was a new dad, I'm still a newish dad, but you know, no book can prepare you for being a parent. You just have to listen to your gut there. You know, you can't learn this in a book. And I want to tell you, Brandon, that that is complete and utter bullshit. I was going to say, I knew how you were going to conclude that sentence. (laughs) All my friends, not all, but 
90% of my friends around me who have kids, like they're still not sleeping at night. Limor and I, since four months in, we sleep at night because I read a book that T Major gave me about how to sleep train kids and how to make it quick and not painful and the kid doesn't have to suffer. And I can't, I approached fatherhood. There's actually a picture of me holding like Limor is next to me pregnant and I have two fatherhood books. And I, I just, <laughs> I must've read like eight books before Ari was even born. Right. And, and I know a lot of people who are in the audience, there's this tendency because people don't want to admit that maybe they didn't do the best job. There's this tendency to go, well, you can't learn this in a book. I didn't learn it in a book. Let me tell you, like, since Ari was four months old, we sleep through the night. Uh, and you know, I, I don't believe that you should label your kid as like a wonder kid or a smart kid, but Ari is knock on wood, wonderful developmentally and no behavioral issues. And again, knock on wood and health-wise, I'm not going to go to that place of like, my kid's so great, but I will say, I think Limor and I have done really, really well as parents, just absorbing all the information we can that is available to us, whether that's parenting styles, whether that's how do we discipline our child? He's a toddler now. How do I want to discipline him in a way that doesn't kill his creativity? How do I want to foster uh, creativity and curiosity without putting him in a, in a defiant and, and disobedient kind of mindset where he's allowed to do whatever he wants? How do we want to tackle eating? He's the best eater of anyone I've ever met. Um, and it's, again, it's, it's, I hate to sound like a broken record here, but it's figure out what the challenge is learn what the best in the world know. What did Dr. Montessori know about children's creativity? And how do I learn that? You know, what do, what do the people who wrote the book on children's sleep, what did, what are the number one child psychologists in the world? What do they know about a child's emotional well-being that I can just know? And the craziest thing, I think I heard Bill Gates say this one time, or maybe someone said this about Bill Gates, but how crazy is it that the best person in the world on any given topic, except for maybe creating nuclear weapons, but just about any given topic is giving away their knowledge for like $9.99. And you can just spend like three to six hours and learn pretty much everything they have to say about a topic. It, It blows my mind that people don't like, to me, this is the biggest life hack in the world. Like I can just read Bill Gates's book and I can know what Bill Gates knows about climate change. You know, I, I can just read T Major's book and I can know what T Major knows about urban calisthenics and, and body weight fitness. That blows my mind. It, I still haven't gotten over that 20 years later. Like that blows my mind. I can just read Brandon's book and I know what Brandon knows now. Life hack. So uh, that's, that's my take on parenting. Uh, and I will say, sorry, bumped the mic there. I will say like, with all that said, there are definitely elements of parenting that you cannot prepare for in a book. And that is mostly to do with the sides of yourself that you're going to see. Like, I never thought I had a temper. I'm so chill when I'm dealing with people who are mostly rational. But when you're dealing (laughs) with a being who is not rational, right? Like a a three-month-old baby is not rational. Like, he doesn't care how fast I'm mixing the bottle or warming the breast milk. He's pissed. And he's going to scream and me getting mad and being like, stop screaming at me. I'm going to like, that's not going to help. So you, you realize like, whoa, I do have a temper that I never knew I had. And also like, just like, why, why do I go to that place? And so there's a huge amount of just self. uh, And I think this is what people allude to when they say like, no book can prepare you for parenting. There's just this huge amount of like, 
one, seeing the way that I react to situations. Like I'm not prone to anger. Why did I get angry in that moment? Well, I'm, maybe I'm more sensitive to loud noises than I thought I was, or, or maybe I have some stuff around being appreciated and the fact that he doesn't appreciate and it's not enough for him that I ran from the bed. Like, okay, so maybe I need, I need to, I need to spend some time journaling on that. Like, what's my deal with appreciation? Why, why is it so hard for me if someone doesn't appreciate me as much as I deserve? And that's a real example, right? Like that's a, a real thing for me that I'm going through jealousy. I'm not a jealous person. Why, why does it bother me that for three days in a row, he didn't want to come to me and hug me? So there's so much that you're going to learn about yourself. Like in any relationship, I think all relationships are mirrors. Um, and additionally, so learning how you interact in situations, but also, I mean, you're dealing with a mini me, my son particularly (laughs) takes after me. So I, especially, but I think we all see ourselves and our children and like, uh, I'm learning a lot about the way that I am just by seeing him. Cause he's pure, man. Like there's no social graces, right? Like when he's hungry, he behaves a certain way. And I'm like, huh, I feel that way a lot too. Like maybe we have something wired in our DNA that like, if we see food, we're like, I don't care about the conversation. I just, I want to dig in, right? Like, okay, great. Nice blessing. Wonderful. Feed me. And I see that in him. Now I've had, you know, my entire life to like calm that down, but it's interesting to learn that about myself through him. So, um, of course, anyone who's a parent in the audience is going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like we all know this. Um, Paul Graham wrote this amazing article, having kids. And I read it once every six months. Uh, and he, he talks about like, parents don't talk about this stuff. Cause anyone who has kids already knows this and anyone who doesn't have kids couldn't possibly. So it's Do like, you have a jle.bi link for that. I might, but I, I usually just tell people uh, Google having kids. Okay. I, but I refer to Easy it enough. all the time. And, uh, cool. and it, you know, it, it's like anyone who doesn't have kids, you can't, you can't, it, it, the cliche is true. Like you can't describe the love, but anyone who does have kids, there's no point in talking about it. Cause it's, it's like basic. You know what I mean, yeah. well, let me, let me just pull out a, a few things that I, I think are relevant for everybody listening. Sometimes I forget that we're recording and having a conversation with other people here right now. But um, the, the first thing I'll say, uh, not necessarily related to your parenting comment, but just a commonality and something I want to give people permission that, that another big thing that I've learned from Jonathan is the concept of when you're learning a new topic, and this came up when you were talking about learning about parenting, is having the ability to, and per, giving yourself permission to skip information that's not relevant to you, or like not yeah. having to consume a whole book, you know, it's like, you know, that, that is something that I still struggle with. I don't know why, but it's like, you pick up a book and you're supposed to read the whole book. There's too many damn books in the world for you to spend, like reading the whole thing. There's lots of opportunities for you to isolate specifically what you're going to apply. That's another thing I learned from Jonathan. It's like, are, is this applicable right now? Cause if it's not applicable right now, the chances of you retaining it and actually going back to actually implement it is significantly decreased. And if you're learning this for something that you have to do immediately. So that was cool. And then the other thing I was just going to say is like, you know, it seems like this opportunity raising Ari is just a great opportunity for you to look at other external opportunities to learn, you know, anything that we can have in our environment that, that serves as that mirror. I know you've quoted this and I got this from you introducing me to genius network via, you know, to Joe Polish, but he has this quote, you can't read the label from outside the jar. Sometimes it's a coach. 
Sometimes it's somebody reflecting something at you, but sometimes it's a four-year-old kid that is like, hold on. Like I have to look at myself a little bit differently. Um, from inside the jar. That. Oh yeah. Can't read life yeah. From inside the Sorry. Jar. Thank you. I can't believe I said that wrong. That's, thank you for that's correcting a good quote. I've never heard him yeah. say that. Are you serious? It's one of the, it's one of his things on the, on the, um, well, his culture wall or whatever, but, but anyways, yeah. So man, well, this has been fun. Uh, we, we got to go deep Agreed. and do some, some interesting stuff. So we, I mean, we can do another crazy catch up and get some other people into, if, if you enjoyed that. the, if you enjoyed the automation stuff, Jonathan and I could probably do that for, for several hours. There's, there's plenty of other topics totally. that we didn't even skim on, but I've learned so much from Jonathan. I'm so grateful for you and the impl- the, the impact that you've made in life, my life. As I said, in the beginning, like would not be the 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 human that I am today for this podcast if it weren't for you open the doors to people. So thank you. Man. I could say that say that all day, but just just so grateful for you. And I'm gonna conclude with the Jonathan Levy question. Um, so if you if you followed Jonathan's podcast, um, he did 300 episodes. At the end of every episode, yep. he always he always asked people if you could give one piece of homework, one thing for people to to or sorry, one thing for people to apply for the rest of their lives from this conversation. What would it be? So yeah. I'm going to ask your question, Jonathan. Tell us what is the homework that you'd like to give or thing the number one yeah, takeaway yeah. that you want people to remember. The homework question was the second to last one. The the last one that I always asked was if there's one thing that you hope people took away from this conversation and carried with them for the rest of their lives. What would you hope for that to be? And I was hoping you'd ask that. The thing I want people to take from this conversation and carry with them for the rest of their lives is treat every challenge in your life as a learning challenge. It is irrelevant whether it's a physical challenge, whether it's, God forbid, a sickness, whether it's a a new job opportunity, whether it's you hating your job, treat every single thing in your life as a learning challenge. And you would be amazed how many things turn out to be solvable strictly through learning. And I I may not like talking about learning strategies anymore, but I still fundamentally believe that. And every day I prove it to myself again and again. Love that. I will not add anything else to that, but I always like to have a conversation with you listening right now before you head out. And I just want to say, if you're a brand new listener, you could be listening to any podcast in the world right now, but you decided to come in and hang out with Jonathan uh, and myself today. So I deeply appreciate you. And the other thing is I will say is if you're a returning listener, I appreciate you for coming back week after week. You're absolutely what makes this possible. And the last thing I always say is whether you're new or returning, I truly believe that podcasts can change lives. There's maybe something that Jonathan said in the beginning about his story about being bullied, about, about going through tough times as a kid and finding entrepreneurship. Maybe it was that simple speed reading tip. Um, you know, or maybe there's plenty of opportunities for you to go back and listen to the, the, the hacks that we've had. You can, if you want to explore more, um, you can, you can definitely go and check out Jonathan's book, by the way. Uh, it's called the only skill that matters. Um, and it's free, you can pick up a free copy of it. Yeah. Go to, where do we go? I was kind of in, I was, I kind of, sorry, didn't mean to distract you freelearningbook.com. If people want a free, it's actually Brandon who convinced me to write the book and convinced <laughs> me to give it away for free. It was like, you should do this free book thing. It's, it's, it's amazing. So, uh, yeah, I wrote an entire book and, uh, and printed thousands of copies and we give them away for free. All you have to do is pay shipping. It's at freelearningbook.com. Cool. Go to free learning book. And then I'll conclude what I was saying before is if something that Jonathan Sorry. said that completely changed it. No, it's all good. If something, something caught your eye, Share this with someone. It can absolutely change someone's life. You have that power in your hands if you just share this one episode with them. Um, like I said, Jonathan Jonathan has recorded many episodes that have, that have changed the way that, that I've thought about things. And so I would appreciate that. So whether you choose to do that or not, I appreciate you, with it, you for hanging out with us today and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jonathan.
Thank you. Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show, and if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week just researching a guest on the show. And then there's the time that's spent recording the show, the intro, reaching out to new guests, and of course, all the editing, publishing, promoting that my amazing wife and high school sweetheart, Leah, helps me to manage. So all that to say, there's a lot that goes on just to get to the point where you listen to this episode. So if you appreciate the content and have 10, five to 10 seconds to spare, it would help a ton if you could leave a quick rating on the show. Extra credit if you choose to leave a review, but just tapping whatever stars you feel the show deserves helps a ton and it takes so little time. So whether you choose to do that or not, I so appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon.